Hello, adventurers, and welcome to the Mike Flares podcast, coming to you from a number of far off and distant lands. After all, it's dangerous business, Martin. Going out, out your door, stepping onto the road. If you don't keep your feet, there's no telling where you might be swept off to. I'm your host, Connor O'Brien, and joining me as always is my co host, Mr. Martin O'Dwyer. How are you today, buddy? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Uh, the have it? Uh, Bilbo, but I think he said yeah, in Lord of the Rings. Sorry, that's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. about adventure sweeping you off your feet. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, honestly, that's a great quote, so I'm not going to complain. But yeah, it wasn't. Oh, it is. That's a solid quote. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. It's been a good week. Um, Fox Machina finished and was excellent. Um, it was. It was. Yeah, we won't give spoilers, but the the last episode was the thing I was very much looking forward to seeing animated for the entire series. Kind of forgot about it halfway through, and then in the last two episodes went, "Oh yeah, this is gonna happen." Yeah, I uh, I'm I was uh I was really, really happy with how it turned out. Hmm. Um, again, I won't give any spoilers, but and I'm hoping it's not a bias because obviously I'm a, I'm a big critical role fan. I'm hoping it's not a bias, and I'm not just living off of the nostalgia of of that you know that stream i used to watch five years ago or whatever um but i feel like the show had no dull episodes like something interesting or action-packed or funny happened right the way through i don't feel like there was a single lull episode as far as i'm concerned i think the first two are definitely worse than the rest of them uh mm, maybe like, i mean okay i would say worse worse but it's probably one is, harshly. episode one is easily the worst episode yeah, but I would still say it's the it's, it's the worst of a solid bunch of episodes. Yeah. Like even episode one is still really good. Just in comparison, it's not as good because episodes one and two have a separate arc that they're mini yeah. arc they're following, and the rest of the show then has a this insane, really dark arc that they follow, which is really cool. Uh, so I would I would say yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I would I would I would hesitate to say worst. So I would yeah. say not not as good or slightly less good. Uh, yeah. I was actually watching a De- Davy Chappie was pretty um, critical hilariously of uh, the show uh-huh. um, but he said it was like an acquired taste is what he described it as um, and I didn't like fully agree with him on a lot of the stuff he said um, but one thing I've seen from people I know who have watched it who have gone on to watch it who weren't familiar with Critical Role or D&D was that like, yeah. when the first three episodes came out a friend of mine watched it and he was like yeah it's good I really liked it and then like the next three came out and the next three came out and it wasn't until this third batch of three came out and I said it to him again and I was like what, yeah, so what do you think of it what do you think of it now and he was like it's amazing absolutely love it this is incredible <laughs> yeah I think uh, I think we're in a very uh, I'm not going to say unique position because uh, there's plenty of people out there who are uh, very much in the same boat as us but um, we're in a position of a very particular viewpoint on it whereby we know the show. We watched campaign one. We know the the plot points and the characters and all this kind of Dude, stuff. Dude, I am so so excited to see Earthbreaker Groon. Oh my god, Earthbreaker know, Groon! Yeah. Yes, give me that fight there's, animated. Uh, yeah, there's uh, so it's, yeah, we, we we get like us having seen it in the stream and seeing that now realized as a as an animated show, really well animated show, is uh is really exciting. I can completely understand though if you brought someone in who wasn't. Like, for example, I think maybe, I don't know, if you brought someone in who had no familiarity with Critical Role, the stream, mm-hmm. and and then sat down and watched that, would they, they probably wouldn't enjoy it as much, or at the very least, it would take a lot more time for them to get into it. By episode one, I was in, but then again, mm-hmm. that's I, I'm like, oh, I know these characters, and, and they're all doing their own voices and everything like that, it's really great. But um, yeah, I think I think for someone else, like you said, it, it, uh, it could take like a, a couple episodes, or maybe... Like I said, the first two episodes are one arc, and it's good. Yeah. It's not. It's not 
as good as the rest of the show. But we'll say if you get two episodes in to the by up to, up to like episode four or twelve, mm-hmm. um, I think most people could get pretty pretty well sucked in at that point. Yeah, I think episode two ends pretty strongly as well. Um, to be honest, with like the dragon fight and stuff, and like them all working yeah, together yeah. to take it down, um, and kind of the first time you see them properly working together as a team, uh, at least because I've been watching like reaction videos and stuff, and people absolutely love that fight. They absolutely adore that fight. It is, it is a great scene oh, because you see that there's it's perfectly. It shows everyone. Every, everyone has yeah, their yeah. yeah. Everyone has their turn. Uh, we obviously uh, we I, th- I think uh, Tara said it last night. Uh, we were we were hanging out last night. We had two drinks and stuff like that. That's Tara what brought it up at one point, <laughs> and her she was like, "Oh, can I just say by the way, um, why the hell is Keyleth saving them every single day? She <laughs> something goes wrong, and it's like, oh, Keyleth better do some mad druid stuff. I almost said a yeah. different word. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Some mad druid stuff um, to to get us out of this mess. Uh, but I mean, like that's that's honestly representative of of what druids are like in D anD D. Druids are really versatile, really powerful class. Oh god, Joe is so goddamn good. Um, and yeah, what I what I find hilarious is that with Keyleth stuff is that I remember at the time of the stream, Keyleth and Marisha in particular got so much shit for her, for her character yeah. and stuff. And then the animated the animated series has come along and they do the whole like I'm George. They do, they do her whole story of like I'm not confident in myself or in my own abilities or my own power and I'm like self limiting myself at my own lack of confidence. Um, um and that whole arc that they bring through to the end of the show like is really really awesome um i've and i've seen so many articles going up on like polygon and kotaku and stuff where they're like talking about how like marisha ray and keyleth were done dirty in the original live stream by the fans and everybody else because keyleth is great uh and like yes she, she is great i absolutely adore keyleth uh but there, there's like so many articles now if you like look it up like if you just look up like critical role and stuff there's so many articles where people are like Keyleth is the MVP why did no one yeah. give Keyleth the credit she deserved in the original stream uh, it's, it's, it's actually just so entertaining just to see that that kind of whole I mean, swing back around I think I think some of that came from like because here's the thing I think a lot of people who either hadn't seen D&D until they discovered critical role or hadn't seen uh, or had seen D&D, but never in the capacity that Critical Role presents it. Mm-hmm. Um, had, had maybe never seen people taking their characters so seriously at the table, like really, really delving into who their characters are and what they're feeling and what they're about. Uh, and I think people, in the same way that like uh, Ve- uh, Vax and Grog had a rivalry in Campaign 1, mm-hmm. and that's in the show as well, yeah. but they have a rivalry... And then, so they're always kind of like teasing each other and stuff like that. But people, like, there were people, honest to God, thought like that Travis and Liam hated each other. They're like, oh, Travis and Liam don't get along at all because their characters are always fighting. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, no, they're just doing, they're just playing a part. Because if you watch them then in campaign two or, or campaign three, like, they absolutely get on. They're really good friends. But it, people like, but see what their character is doing and think that's indicative of the person. Likewise, uh, Marisha playing Keyleth in campaign one seems a little bit helpless she's a bit clueless sometimes she doesn't know what to do she's like she plays her naive she's very naive yeah yeah exactly and i think people see that and go god i hate marisha she doesn't know how to play the game no marisha's playing a character who isn't super capable but learns to be over time and it's honestly it, it's and it's so well done particularly if you look at her like in the craghammer arc at the start of the stream and then look at her by the time she's named voice of the tempest towards the end of the campaign and she has like insane ninth level spells and crazy stuff that she can do so she really kind of like yeah she, she has a brilliant character arc 
the one and I, I think I think Russia plays her so so well. The one I always remember from the first stream was um it wasn't even like a big moment or anything, but they were on like an airship flying to look for a vestige. Um and there was like a giant lightning storm and they were like, Oh, we're gonna have to go around the lightning storm and then Marisha's like, I walked to the front of the ship and cast control weather and split the storm yeah. in front of us. And I was like, That's so cool. She yeah. literally just stood at the front of the ship like a maiden head and just like control weather, I I moved the storm. Like, oh that's so cool. I love druids. Oh, so she had honestly, um I think yeah, I think people just got really wrapped up in, in the character and mixing up the character and the person and not realizing that Marisha, an actress, was playing a character who happened to be very naive, but that does not is that's that's not indicative of Marisha necessarily, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I think uh, I think the show uh, did her much more credit, um, while also remaining true to the character. I feel like they didn't change her; she still has the same temperament, the same voice, and the same kind of mannerisms, but they just they present her in a way that it's it's a lot more obvious that this is the character because you're not looking at Marisha on the screen thinking. Is she in character right now, or is this yeah. Marisha saying this? You know, every uh, every reaction channel I've seen has also compared her to Jean Grey, which I love. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as she's like um, started freezing everything um, and doing that stuff, like two or three channels I I, I watched to react to it were like, oh Jean Grey vibes here. And she's going like, this is like some Dark Phoenix stuff or whatever. And I was like, oh you've no idea, man. <laughs> you've no idea. Oh. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> Yeah, no, it's uh, it is a it's a fantastic show. If anyone uh, listening hasn't watched it, absolutely go on. It's on Amazon Prime. Indeed. Um, and it's really, really good. It's twelve episodes, and they're short. They're only they're half hour episodes. Uh, twenty three um, so minutes, I think. Yeah, yeah. So you'll fly through it, like. Um, but it's it's honestly, there's no. I don't, I don't feel like there's any. Even in the pacing, episode to episode, there's not there's no real lull moments. It's like everything is very engaging and very relevant. There's no. Bit there's there's a there's an absolute ton of references if you watch the the stream there's an absolute ton of references particularly in the and background a, like they'll, they'll just stick like a million items from from like campaign one to campaign two and there yeah uh, there's also there's a bit I I saw someone I didn't notice it when I watched it the first time actually no, I shouldn't say that because it's a bit of a spoiler I'll leave that bit out okay. uh, there's there's a bit where no screw it I can't say it I really, I, there's no way I can say it without giving up uh, giving up some of the things so we'll, we'll leave it off yeah. Martin we're going to talk about something today <coughs> on our podcast where we talk about D&D things we went on a bit of a journey to get here but I, I guess it's about time we started <laughs> for our audio viewers Connor is just making the dumb face for the last 10 seconds and pointing at Martin because he's a journey and that's what we're talking about yes. not the band not the fantastic oh. band no we're talking about uh, travel in D&D uh, and I mentioned this last week because uh, Ginny D put up a video about travel and also highlighted that pretty much every D&D YouTuber at one point or another has done a video about travel. And it's like, oh, maybe this is something people have difficulty with. Um, and I thought we'd kind of go through some of the rules for travel, some of the different uh, mechanics that surround it, maybe mm-hmm. some of how we implement travel in our world, and then uh, some of the different ways that you can, uh, you can kind of accommodate travel in your homebrew as well. Uh, so when we're talking about traveling D&D there's a lot of different reasons your characters will travel that they'll leave the village or leave the city and go to the next town or go up into the mountains into the dwarven mines or uh, or travel across the entire kingdom to reach a, a dark mountain with a pit of lava at the bottom of it you need to draw a ring inside there's a bunch of different reasons your characters could could leave or need to go somewhere um, and as as such, then, that requires you guys as a party to travel overland. Now, uh, some people 
some DMs aren't very fond of travel. Uh, and I get why. There's, there's a lot of mechanics. It can be a little, it can almost seem a bit cumbersome or tedious, depending on the ways you approach it. Uh, in the DMG, there is a section that talks about doing it in like a montage or doing it hour by hour. Yeah. And I think there's merit to both, but I do feel like the hour by hour one can be quite tedious. Um, one thing I actually don't have notes on here, but we'll probably talk about it in a bit, um, is uh, camping, like sleeping. Mm. We know where do you set up your camp, who keeps watch. During the watch, how do you determine if something's going to happen? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so, first thing about travel is that normal characters in D&D move at a pace of about 25 miles per day, mm. give or take. Um, now, that can mean when they're, that, that's them on foot, um, and that's them just kind of like walking along a road, following it to the next town. Uh, and it, it's it's a, it's a decent enough pace depending on how you scale your world. Uh, but then, of course, you can get things like horses and mounts and all this kind of thing that could either... Uh, I, I find when I'm kind of calculating how long it's taking you guys, depending on how you do it, I'm thinking about, is this going to be a like straight line thing because you're in an airship or on a flying mount and you can just go as the bird flies? Mm-hmm. Or is this a thing where like you are... Uh, where you're in it, you have to follow the road which means going around this mountain, therefore taking more time. Um, but when it comes to travel in your homebrew game, your home, your home game, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, how do you implement travel? How do you address it, or do you even address it? Uh, so recently, I've not had actually. I've, they've done a lot of traveling, but most of it. See, if a druid would transport via plant scanner. <laughs> so that's ma- fine though it, it is yeah so it makes uh it makes things pretty interesting when they want to go places and um, particularly because he can also scry so he can just scry on the area see a tree okay i can tell i can tell i can transport via plants now um which is grand um but no honestly um travel is one of the things i i think i actually struggle with as a dm um just because i do struggle to f- think of a way to make it more interesting um in terms of like what i'm yep. describing and stuff you know there's only and I always go back to when for me anyway. Um, it's not necessarily travel, but like even like do you know when you're at, like if you're in like a mine or an underground cavern, and there's only so many times you can say like the cavern, the tunnel you're in is like dim, dimly lit and it twists and turns in the underdark, and yeah. you travel for about 150 feet down the shaft, and then to your left a side panel, a side path opens, and you go down that way into the dark, and oh no, there's a, sp- a pit of spikes down there. Uh, do you know like it's I, I find that gets very uh, very tedious and repetitive. Um, and I find a similar issue with travel where unless yeah. like unless there's a specific area that they're traveling through that I have set up that to, to be dangerous or just to know like when that one stretch of time when they I actually did do a long travel section where they, they traveled through five different zones and each zone had different challenges um, but like if it's just generic travel like we're going from one town to the other and there's like it's mostly just like fields and maybe the occasional hill between us i'm like okay it's probably going to take you guys like 24 hours to like go get from this town to this town based on the distance because you have horses or whatever um recently my guy i did give my guys a skyship well basically a skyship um they were hiding out in a giant area that was like a refinery castle for like crash oh, yes. for like ore and stuff so when the two giants landed with their ship that's meant for just two giants, which is perfect size for like eight small, eight like medium humanoids or whatever, um, they landed, they killed the giants, and then they went, oh, ship. So they took the ship and blew up the castle. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it started dropping. I was, I was like describing the drop from the sky, and my guys were like, 
do we know where that's gonna land uh, I was like not really no yeah you think it might be near the sea <laughs> that um, was uh that was a similar thing with you guys uh a while back where you boarded an airship that was kind of hovering above a city it was an imperial airship you were like let's destroy this one so it can't pursue us and then hijack the other one <clears throat> and uh and you lit a fuse on all the black powder inside of that thing and it went off and it basically split the ship in half it basically blew up in the middle and the ship fell in two parts um on on the city below uh, and only for the fact that the the bad guy that was there was really powerful uh with like telekinesis and stuff like that he managed to not stop it but he kind of like nudged it to the side so it fell closer to the lake and, and kind of crashed in i think it still clipped a couple of buildings but it, it didn't level an entire city block basically we're the good guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, that that is that is uh, still up for debate in uh, in Temurai. <laughs> Before we'll just kill out of the series. Uh, so <laughs> when it when it comes to uh, when it comes to travel, yeah, um, there's a lot of different factors that can kind of come into it. Like you said, making travel interesting, I feel like the line between travel being interesting and being tedious is very very thin. Um, yeah. there's a lot you can do with travel. But I also feel like if you do all of it, is that is that a lot, you know? Like, for example, we talk about pace, right? So when you're traveling, just say for talk, say if we're talking about you guys traveling on the road, either on foot, in the carriage, or on horse. It's, it's the most standard form of traveling you're going to find in D&D. Uh, you get to pick your pace, first of all. Whether you want to move slow, like regular pace, or fast. If you move uh, fast... There's rules in the book in the DMG where you have disadvantage on perception checks, which makes sense. You're you're going to get there faster, but you're not going to be able to watch your surroundings <coughs> as, as carefully, and you may even run into a trap. You may not see that there's a spike pit in the middle of the road or something like that. Um, and you also can't move stealthily if your horse is galloping down the road at absolute full pelt, you know? Um, so, and then you have, like, uh, you can move normal pace, in which case you can, you can make perception checks, no problem. Mm. Uh, you can't quite go stealthy, though, because you're still... You know, you're not being cautious enough. And then you can move slowly if you want, but it takes twice as long uh, to get anywhere. You can move stealthily, you can make perception checks, but you're taking twice as much time to get anywhere, you know? Um, pace is like, pace can be good, I think. Pace can be, you know, I, if, if you put the pressure on the players in the right way, if you're like, oh, that guy's got a, a day's head start on you heading to this other town, and if he gets there, he's going to kill this person or steal this thing what are you going to do and you might think we need to get there before him or at least catch up with him we have to go at a fast pace mm. but that can be really good you know you're, the, the players understand the pressure of the, or the the drama of the situation that needs to be resolved um, and I think having those options is nice uh, there's also wet <coughs> pardon me there's also weather mm. um, so you can do temperature wind and precipitation uh, again these add, I actually like these more so than maybe the pace thing the pace thing is fine I like these more so because it's something the DM rolls. I basically rolled three D20s, one for temperature, one for wind, one for precipitation. Uh, but actually, you know, depending on the environment, that can be really interesting because, um, for example, I think you guys fought on the side of the road against a powerful fey knight yes. at one point. The and I think... Moon. Yeah. And I, uh, I think... Uh, Gavin had disadvantage on perception checks because it was... Or not perception, but... Uh, ranged attacks because there was such a high yes, uh, yeah. wind at the time and I mean like that but I mean like, I kind of like that because I like things in Dungeons and Dragons that take away bits of control from me as the DM I like I like going oh you guys are heading into this place I'm going to roll on this chart I don't know if it's going to make things easier or harder for you but it's kind of like 
it's liberating when I don't have control over the situation, when I can just go, well, we'll see what happens. And it's totally up to the dice. And if that ends up being really challenging, it can be engaging. But it, you guys also aren't going to turn to me and go, Connor, you were way too hard in that session. I'm just going to be like, yeah, it's a, it's a 20, I rolled a 20. That means it's a, it's a thunderstorm, you know? Um, yeah, I, I do, do like them. Like what? So I was just going to say, I do a similar thing with my guys, but what I do is I roll the D8. Um, and I pick a person and I say I roll a d20 and then I roll it again and I pick three I pick three out of the four to roll the d20s and determine what the weather is it's the same three as well oh yeah that, that's what I mean uh, yeah I mean the d20 is maybe if it were me I'd actually well, if it was me I am me um, but, uh, <laughs> who am I if I, if I was going to change it I'd actually change it to a d12 specifically because I feel like d12s do not get enough rolling time and I think they feel really good to roll um, I get I get a lot of value from D12s this campaign. It's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good old barbs. Um, but yeah, so I feel so. There's that, and you have navigation as well. Like, which I would not have you navigate if you're following a road. No. If you're just just strolling on the road, you it's probably well signposted. It's going to be like capital city this way, or you know this uh, such and such a mine this way up the hill you know it's going to be relatively well signposted and there will be some level of you know navigable road navigatable yeah navigatable navigatable road um so but that could be like that could not be uh, wisdom checks for survival Mm. or even perception on top of that uh so there's like three things right before you even think about encounters whether they be hostile like combat things or not before you even think about traps or or ambushes or anything at all, you have three things you need to think about, and I, I like them. I think the mechanics of them are great, and they can add a, a flavor to the to your traveling. But uh, I feel like that, and then coupling that with encounters and a bunch of other stuff, can be a lot for the DM, and maybe a little bit overwhelming for for players as well to have to be like, okay, uh, I'm gonna roll this. Uh, survival check to navigate and the weather is like this so we have disadvantage on these things uh, and also we're going to choose to do at this pace you know they have to make a bunch of decisions every time they, they set out on a journey you know yeah totally um, and yeah I can get it like I think you were very right earlier when you said the thing with um, travel is like it's a very fine line it's a fine balance and like yeah. even if you're doing good travel um, like you're, you think you're doing well you're, you're kind of trying to engage people and be more narrative with it um, I think even if you're doing that well, um, there's still a danger of overdoing it, and like, cause like, travel, like, it's a thing that always comes to mind when I see people talking about they're extremely like they have a DM a D and D world that's like very survivalist and hardcore and realist and stuff, and I'm like, yeah. and my reaction to that is always it's extremely impressive that you've gone to this level of work, um, and put this amount of effort in to make this system for your world. It's not my style. I don't like. I don't want it in my game. I'm happy it's in yours and you enjoy it and your players enjoy it but it's not I think honestly like in my opinion I think that's a bit of a waste of time I think it could be spent elsewhere um, doing other stuff in your world and I think with travel it's kind of similar in that like I think you just have to strike the right balance for you and for your players Um, I've had like I like to do weird if I'm doing if I'm doing like if I'm doing like different travel, like if I'm doing travel, usually it'll be something different and weird. Like said, there was that session where they were traveling through that desert area that that was in, influenced by five different planes, um, and it, they were like regularly swapping through. Uh, this week I actually did. Um, they're still they're coming towards the end. They'll, they've two one castle left, and then the giant home city, and they'll be done. Um, I, God, I can't wait to get out of this. Eric, it's been I've never written nine castles again. 
but the castle that they're in now is like this like they opened it up and it, the whole area around the castle is all like it, the, even the light in like a radius around it is dimmer this like black mist like seeps out of all the some of the openings in the castle um, they looked in they had like a bird scout in and they looked in and it's like inside the castle is this like giant galaxy scape with just like cosmic gases and wormholes and stars and all these things opening up um, and the last session before the one I DM'd ended with my rogue tying a rope around him tying it to the blood hunter and then running and jumping into the space at full speed uh, uh, so the reason I bring this up is because once they all got into this area to get into this space they have to make a charisma check to have the will to move forward Right. Uh, and then once they can they can move um, and then the uh, I've had it where like I think I believe it was yeah it was like the blood hunter and then an NPC were left at the front door because they were like being the anchor for the part, rest of the party they all tied ropes around each other to travel in case they like just drifted off into space uh, right. which, which is fun to see them try and work out the rules that I had made up for this place but they got the whenever you want to move you have to make a charisma check and charisma check that once you had made it it wasn't a super high DC but it was high enough that you could fail um, so like at one stage my rogue tried to go forward and he made the charisma check you just and it was like this so I, I describe how this like path that looks like shattered crystal and starlight just emerges in front of them and leads them off up further back into the room up towards this big like purplish gas space cloud that seems to be like glowing um, and they've done other stuff in here as well where they like fired magic stones in there and start, it, it looks like the faster something moves through the space the quicker and more immediately it slows down once it gets past the halfway point in the room so like uh, right. when they were testing it out my rogue shot his, his sniper rifle into the space and I like described how like the bullet like rockets out of the gun like because fucking moves fast like rockets out of the gun gets past the halfway point of the room gets about 80 feet into the room starts to slow down gets to the 100 feet mark and basically with the same amount of force that it shot out of the gun it immediately slows down and just sits there floating in space uh, and then gets like ate by a wormhole and spat out by another wormhole and stuff um, and it was just really fun to watch them try and figure things out um, and so like if I do something weird with travel I like something with travel where it's going to be a major feature I'll usually make it a little more interesting than just hey I'm traveling through these mountains or through this thing oh I did a frozen I did a frozen maze once covered in fog that was fun as well you two things I want to raise with you one, one is a very good world building tip you, you've uh, incidentally mentioned there is uh, when you mentioned that uh, you're never writing nine giant castles again um, here's the thing folks if you want to be like oh the nine lords of the Nazgul that's really awesome but you gotta name nine individual lords <laughs> and have different personalities and staff blocks and all this other crack so yeah it, it, like if you think oh the the seven secret cities of this thing could it be the three secret cities could you get yeah. can you fit that many secrets into just three do yourself a favor and make it just three cities like so. don't get me wrong i'm really happy with the stuff i've come up with in these castles because the fact that i did nine made me do the sci-fi stuff and this is i'm doing so yeah. actually because this will come out after we play the session um i can mention that uh it's a i, I basically stuck a doom wake giant in this um castle mm. from theros that's and, really cool. yeah. and so the whole area here is like a dreamscape um, interesting the, the guys haven't quite figured that out yet but the whole part of the session was they, they travelled they were they were tra they all travelled together and eventually they're travelling on this like crystalline starlight path that brings them up around through this area and eventually the path stops in front of this like 15 foot tall kind of translucent colourless image of a deity and 
I literally d- described Nyx from Hades uh, right. as, as a, the goddess of night um, because uh, in Theros the Doomwake giants are Nyxborn they're, they're, they're giants that come about because in a, like in a city a bunch of humans are afraid and have nightmares about something coming to destroy the city so a Doomwake giant forms to fulfill that dream Oh, it manifests out of yeah, that. Yeah, it manifests yeah. out of their fears. So I did the thing where once they they got to this, then these four um constellations at like the four cardinal points appeared around them, and then each of them chose one and they went in, and we got three out of four done that week, and it was they each went into an idealized version of their own backstory world. So for my pirate rogue who has issues with his father, he um he came back to an idealized version of the family palace on the day he was due to be crowned king. Uh, for my sorcerer whose arc was she was back in her home that's completely safe now everyone is back safe um, she's now the leader of the town and it's her duty to start the harvest festival um, and she cheated really really great with that and then the third one I got to do as well was um, my character Mandroy who was now the leader of his druidic tribe and had opened up a series of uh, five star ansons across the entire world um, was a giant bit was a, was a business magnate because that's something he'd always been going on about um, oh, I, and I, and sh- I shouldn't be added, surprised he, like. he also had a giant weed farm um, because yeah because they can they're, they're druids and they can just grow plants Martin I'm like yeah they can I guess okay fine a long bottom leaf yeah yeah um, but yeah that they, was that, that's the kind of like the weird travel I like to do where it'll be like if I'm gonna highlight travel it's not just gonna be you're going through a mountain or you're going through this it's gonna be like it's going to be a bit out there no, I think it's a really good way to, to approach it. I mean, like, and actually that brings me on to a point I was I was going to bring up. What if the journey, what if the travel is the quest, you know? Um, what if we make it more than boiling it down to the simple weather mechanics, pace mechanics, navigation, um, you know, partic- having an encounter, rolling random tables. I, I hate rolling random tables. I think, I think they're the worst. I think, I like that they're there. I like that you give me the option. But if I have people traveling along a road, I'm not going to roll on a random table because all of a sudden then my players are like walking through a place that's like maybe infested with undead and stuff like that and and maybe there's uh, I don't know some giants involved as well and then I roll on the table and it's just like oh uh, 12 orcs attack and I'm like there's no or am I know in my homebrew world there are no fucking orcs anywhere near here that makes no sense and it's also just, it just seems like busy work when random tables always seem like busy work mm. to me uh, and just like filling time Whereas I would much rather take the time on a journey to make it about something meaningful. And I think uh, I think there's some really good examples. I, I thought of two, you can probably think tell me about more, um, of examples where the journey is the quest. Obviously we have Frodo. The yeah, Rings, I was going to say Lord Rings. Most, it's the, it, it, I think it, it, I don't know if it necessarily started the idea of a quest journey kind of thing, but it definitely, you know, brought it to the forefront and, and most D, most early D is based on these kind of things you know all the Dragonlance books are, I was watching a video about it all the Dragonlance books are based around this kind of quest style journey kind mm. of thing as well uh, so that it's a culture that's been around for a very long time and again mostly because of Tolkien if not entirely um, and Aragon at least the first book in Aragon is very much about and again Aragon's very derivative of, of Tolkien and stuff very, very but I mean, Aragon meets uh, an, old, an old man who lives in his village who happens to be a former dragon rider and then mm-hmm. they embark on this journey south to go and reach these mountains where the dwarven rebels are living and stuff like that. Um, as, and the whole first book is, uh, is, a, is a journey like that. It's about them getting to this place. Um, and it's, it's, you know what, again, they're very derivative, but they're decent enough books. Like, 
Um, yeah. I think they have some some good bits in them uh, and some okay world building. The latter books, um, yeah, a lot more interesting and a lot more um, like developed. Yeah, uh, but do you think of any other ideas where the journey is the is the quest? You know, the traveling isn't just something you need to do so you can get to the next town to do the thing you actually want to do. It's it's part of it. It's 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 getting there is actually rolled in with it. Uh, first season, wheel of time. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, good call. Because they, they a lot of the first season is spent, uh, and I, I presume the, uh, the yeah. book as well, obviously, the, um, the, the is, is about getting to the White Tower. They, they yes. have these people, but they're being, they're in. Someone's pursuing them. They're in danger. They need to get to the White Tower where they know they'll be safe. And then when that, like, uh, there's a point in the in the first book slash series where they they they, they come <laughs> very very like Lord of the Rings. The company breaks and takes separate directions. And uh, but the then, fellowship is broken. Uh, exactly. The the uh, the wheel is broken. Uh, or the group, the party, the, the party splits up into ones and twos. They split the party. Yeah. The party splits up in ones and twos, and then <laughs> they all take their own separate but very different journeys. I actually think Robert Jordan does travel really, really well in Wheel of Time, um, because there's a lot of it in there, and I'm never like reading it going, okay, get on, get to the point. Yeah, yeah. Like get to the point, Bob. Uh, but yeah. Um, let's see, Wheel of Time. Uh. I don't know why he keeps jumping out to me, but Road to El Dorado, <laughs> uh. <laughs> which I don't think is even correct. Um, I, w- I would say no. I would say like the 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 don't go around the goal initially is for them yeah. to get there, but then the rest of the movie kind of follows the idea of them impo- impersonating gods. Why can I not think of movies now? <laughs> uh, no, it's fair. I put I put you on the spot, but I mean, yeah. So I mean, the the idea of the quest journey is there, and I think. Uh, I'm, like, li- uh, I'm, literally looking last... at, I'm literally looking at a stack of books on the floor trying to figure out of it. <laughs> of a lot. So like la- last week I mentioned uh, a session I ran for you that was, it was essentially a travel um, a travel quest, like a, a, like a mini quest as, as you were traveling. But I, I, I wouldn't have put you guys on that had I not wanted to make it relevant to what was going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now that's not to say you can't just have a random, you know, uh, horde of orcs or some goblins come out of the woods and attack people on the road perfectly fine um but i i feel like if you're if you overdo it you're going to spend a lot of time that you could be in sessions doing very uh meaningful things that have to do with the the overarching story or someone's backstory or something like that and you're just wait i don't want to say wasting because if you're having fun it's not wasted but mm. you're spending a lot of that time and energy doing something that isn't going to have a large narrative impact um and i think that you know, there's there's some great stuff and great stuff in like Lord of the Rings, where like obviously the first the initial journey is we have to get to Rivendell. We have this ring, we got to get to Rivendell, and then yeah. they go and they go out into the wilds. And Aragorn was definitely rolling survival checks there, he totally uh, and doing and doing damn well at it too. Um, and then the other hobbits were just like, oh, let's light a fire on the top of this hill where everyone can see it. Uh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, no, but I, I think, like, and then, so they get to Rivendell, and then, obviously, they go through the Mines of Moria, and I think that, like, I think that the I mines... I have no memory of this place. <laughs> yeah. I think the mines are, even though it would seem like it's really out there, it's like dwarves don't really come up a huge amount other than Gimli mm-hmm. um, in Lord of the Rings. So the fact that, like, you go into Moria, and you see dwarven culture, and you see this place that, you know, goblins took over and killed everybody, and uh, and Gimli gets to have some character development there, and... Uh, we see some other stuff with like Gandalf telling Frodo, "Oh, we're being followed by yeah. Gollum," and and all that stuff about you know, um, what's it? What was it? Uh, pity that stayed uh, that Bilbo's hand and stuff like that. You know, which is a real growing moment for Frodo because 
Otherwise, he might have just stabbed Gollum the first time he saw him without yeah. even thinking about it. But, you know, which, debatably, I don't know, for the better, I don't know. <laughs> Realistically, he wouldn't, have made, he wouldn't have made us a Mount Doom without Gollum, despite all the hardship. Well, if, if, yeah, this is true. And also, if, like, Gollum wasn't there, Sam would have probably had to push Frodo into the lava. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, true. And he wouldn't have done it. No. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think the, you can make the the travel, the journey part of it. And I think that's, it's about, I think, if you're going to do it, personal opinion, avoid, you don't have to say personal, all opinions are personal. Um, you, my opinion, avoid uh, random uh, encounter tables. I think they're a nice tool to have, but I, I don't think I've ever used them because I want to, if I'm going to make an encounter, I'm going to pick something that I feel like fits the, what's going on in the world you know mm. um, I think uh, in in, camp, in our in our first campaign uh, you guys were travelling from uh, Murderstone up to Kelshire and in a place called White Orchard and stuff like that yeah, uh, yeah. and then High Crossing was the last one uh, but anytime you were on the roads there I might put you up against some bugbears or some goblins and stuff like that but there was a goblin warband in the area that's why they kept showing up uh, and at the end when you got to High Crossing there was a bit of a, a siege happening at the bridge um, and you guys went in and you actually ended up killing the the hobgoblin leader of all them and they kind of disbanded after that so I feel like it plays into what is happening in the world I'm not just going here's some jackal wares okay now here's uh, some spiders that come out of the forest now here's some goblins you know we're, we're making things fit in the world and the idea that you know there have been a uh, a, t a couple of towns under siege by these goblinoid warbands and stuff like that mm. was something that was affecting the entire area it wasn't just a it wasn't random is what I'm saying. Encounters yeah. shouldn't be random despite us having a wealth of resources when it comes to random encounter tables. I think encounters shouldn't be random. I think they should be uh, planned and, and and have bearing in the world and be intentional so as to enrich the, the experience for your players instead of just giving them busy work. Yeah, totally. And like just to go back on what you're saying about random encounters and random tables, there is an interview with Matt Mercer that has always stuck in my head regarding this and it's because he's talking about I think I'm pretty sure it's Matt Mercer. He's talking about like an early DM he had. And he said, no matter where they are, where they were, no matter what they were doing, 15 barbarians would jump out of a bush like every single time. And they'd be like, where are these barbarians coming from? We're on an open road. There's just one bush. We can see it all. It's like five foot it's tall. It's like a clown car of, uh, of yeah. barbarians coming out of one bush. <laughs> and it's like a five foot bush. It's like, the dude is like six foot tall, how is he hiding? <laughs> How's him and his other 14 friends hiding behind this bush? <laughs> it's like that scene in uh, in the Hobbit, in the first Hobbit movie, where Gandalf is like, this way, and he just disappears in behind a rock, and mm -hmm. it's like a secret passage that's like hidden or whatever. I thought you were uh, going to say that bit in the Mulan remake where they all run in a line to hide their numbers, which is just the dumbest thing I've heard in so long. That only works for the guy standing directly above the main gate, and then everyone else, even five feet to his left or right, can see that there is a big line of people. It's so dumb. Oh god, it's so dumb. Uh, that's that that like, really but that's like that's at least like entertainingly dumb. Just like the barbarian, the fifteen yeah, barbarian, yeah. fifteen barbarians in a bush. Like, <clears throat> oh my god. Was was he saying that like? Uh, they would roll random encounters, and it was always like. Yeah, he was saying like they'd be traveling. They kept getting the same the same thing on the on the on the random encounter tables. Yeah, yeah, no, no, just like where they'd be traveling, and wherever they were traveling, there was a bush with fifteen barbarians in it. <laughs> like, they'd just yeah, be going I mean, down like, a random road, and then like fifteen barbarians come out of a bush, and they're like, "Oh, it's the barbarians again." <laughs> and that's the thing about about like um, doing random combat encounters like that as well, is because 
well, okay, one, random encounter tables don't account for non-combat encounters. You can have encounters that are not combat. You might meet a traveler, a merchant, um, a uh, some sort of, I don't know, wandering wizard on the road. You can, you can find a whole bunch of other stuff, and they don't have to be combat. The other thing about... Um, about the random encounter tables is that you might end up doing something like that where you are fighting the same thing multiple times yeah. um and honestly like combat is really fun in D and have a great time doing it you know depending on the character you have you might be very combat oriented in which case yeah let's get that barbarian raging up and right into the center of these guys but you need to put some variety in your combat encounters because otherwise how many times can the players fight similar enemies or even the same enemies over and over until even if you change the battle map a little bit and even if you say oh this time it's dark out while it happens or something you know you need to add more to make those encounters uh, uh interesting and 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 have them feed into your world and that's why i'm saying like you know the the random encounter table it just doesn't offer enough i don't think um i would much rather that like every second option on the table was like you meet a, a traveling merchant uh, or you meet uh, a, an injured soldier or something like that. And, and these are opportunities for social encounters that aren't necessarily um, combat only, you know? Yeah, no, it'd be cool if it was like social encounter, combat encounter, social encounter, combat encounter, social yeah. encounter. Um, one thing that always put me off about random tables was um, when I read it when I was an early DM and I was reading the random tables and it was like, oh, I could potentially roll a green dragon here for the mountains. I, I, yeah. I, I just want like two orcs I just want like two orcs I don't want a green dragon when my players are level three yeah and like even if it was like a, a green dragon wormling or something like that mm. like there's certain monsters and we, I, we, we've definitely mentioned I think it's a young before. green dragon from what I remember young is like the second level I think you can get green dragon wormling as well yeah you but can I, mean, like, well, I, I think like on the actual random oh, table okay. it's on, on the table entry at least I, I could be very wrong but I think it's um I think it's a young green dragon and I just remember being yeah. like my guys are like level fucking four they don't even have a magic weapon yet like, yeah. I'm not, why, why would I roll this in case I get a green dragon and just kills my whole party and the thing is like it's fine when the encounters well okay here's the here's the 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 uh the double-edged sword or the double-edged uh yeah double-edged sword on this on the one hand uh you could go and just put a bunch of stuff on it that's like fairly generic like bandits and orcs and goblins and kobolds and all that which after a while we get very bland and very you know boring fighting the same you know groups of, of humanoids whatever over and over on the other hand you can put things down like certain types of demons and dragons and really interesting stuff like that but like and I, I distinctly remember us bringing this up on the podcast before. And it's more of a thing at high level, but it, it counts for low level as well. If I'm going to put a, a green dragon into my game, wormling, young, adult, legendary, it doesn't matter. I'm going to have a real reason as to why they're here. They're going to be a focal point of some sort of intrigue or quest or some region like this dragon hunts in this region and is known by the nearby town, you know, so we don't go to that part of the forest, you know. I've got that like, in, um, I've, uh, I've like a Celt Viking place called um, Anvarkter. And they have, um, like, the quest line I've always given my players when they ask about what's going on there is there's a terrible beast that's taken up root, uh, up nest in the in the King's Hall for the last 50 years, and no one has been able to vanquish it. So they all yes, just... Yes, you've talked about this before, yeah. Yeah, um, and so, like, that, like, that is a black dragon. Um, mm. My players know this by now, it's a black dragon. Um, and, like, that is... Like if they go there, that is the quest. Like you're you're gonna you're gonna travel, find, fight, and kill a black dragon that no one else in this country has been able to. Yeah, I, I, and like that's, but I mean like that's the thing. I I don't feel like I could just drop a dragon or 
if, if like if we talked about it before because when it comes to higher level actually do you know what it was our episode on um challenge rating and and, and random tables because mm. we brought up like if you ro- if you're a high level party traveling from town to town yeah, and yeah. you're level 15 and you roll it's like oh a pit fiend wanders out of the you know temperate green forest it's like what like yeah. I, I i need like or even even if you describe it better than that, even if you say like, oh, you watch as the ground in the middle of the road tears open and there's a flaming hole and this pit fiend crawls out of it. Slightly cooler. Why is that happening right here in the middle of the road, right as you guys just happen to be walking down it? You'd have to give some sort of context or some sort of bearing because you can't just throw random monsters in, as far as I'm concerned anyway. Yeah. You can't just drop some of these high-level iconic monsters in. You can't just roll and be like, oh, you are... So you guys are walking through the icy tundra and a beholder attacks i'm like what like, i was no, lit- I, I was literally thinking beholder the entire time yeah <laughs> like because yeah. i mean I, yeah again a beholder is an iconic monster that i want to it's on I, I want the to cover of the monster them. manual that's how fucking iconic the beholder is like you can't yeah yeah like i, I yeah I, I definitely think it'd be better for the random tables if it was like social and combat encounters and other stuff for so what did i don't know i'd probably be the same thing kind of stepping on your world building toes would be if they were like so combat encounter social encounter exploration encounter maybe where it's like oh he finds an abandoned mine and then like it's like abandoned mine this much gold this many magic items uh, oh maybe yeah yeah uh, I mean I, I could see that being pretty good though because then you could do things like uh, I don't know you could be like put down something like a, a ruin or something like that and maybe uh, maybe there's an additional table and I, I see what you mean by potentially stepping on world building but you could put down like oh you find the ruin and it is a rolls rolls dice uh dwarven ruin you know um and maybe it's only only you know that could be sometimes stuff like that is good for world building and you have to try and make it fit but if you're very particular about world building and that kind of um um it might yeah it could step on your toes or, or kind of interrupt what is otherwise a very specific tone you're setting yeah. if you're in like a a kind of slavic uh, like Dracula style, like you know, um, what's it called, Ravenloft style campaign or something like that in uh, Barovia, and uh, you roll something then, and it's like, oh, you find a an ancient ruin, and it is, uh, oh, uh, celestial, mm. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or that, but okay, I, I said that, and I, I immediately I can make that fit, so that's a poor example. It's a flood. Uh, yeah, exactly. Roll a combat counter. There's flumps everywhere. Um, flumps it hard, man. Flumps KO'd log ones. You had like one hit point though. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, I think I think making the the encounter part of it, making the encounter relevant. Mm. You know, if we're going to do anything, um, not always making your encounter um, something that is combat related. You know, making it something can be exploration related. It can be socially. It can be a social interaction with an NPC you find on the side of the road. Whether that be again, like, <laughs> pardon me. Whether that be like a merchant or an injured soldier or uh you know a bandit who was abandoned by the rest of his people like his his you know his guys and left for dead or something like that uh, and it might it might spin off into something else that bandit might be like hey look they left me here tied up for dead so the wolves could have me if you free me and come and kill them in revenge i'll give you half the cost you know it, mm. it, it could it could spawn a whole other thing um again though you want to make sure it's it's relevant to the world uh in in what you're doing um I learned something, and I cannot remember who whose video this was. There was a woman; she had D and D videos up. <clears throat> I believe she mentioned in the video that she was not a fan of fifth edition, and she, I think she played three or three point five. Mm. Uh, and she had a rule, just just a handy little kind of um, handy little rule for uh, travel, 
and this kind of feeds into her, my next point I want to talk about. Her rule was when you're traveling anywhere, depending on the distance of the journey, whether it be something that is, you know, very close by, maybe a little bit further away or very far away, you put in either one, two or three encounters respectively. Yeah. Well, I actually so if, like that. Yeah. So if you're going to the next village over, which is a day or two days travel away, um, you would only put in a single combat or, you know, social encounter. You only meet one person on the road or, or encounter one thing. Mm -hmm. If you go from, if you're going like from one side of the kingdom all the way to the capital on the other side, that might take closer to a week. So that could be two encounters. Again, it could be social or combat. And if you're going like, oh, I need to travel not just to the next kingdom, but to the northern half of the next kingdom. So it's even further away. And that's going to take us like a month. You can kind of montage that a little bit by saying, oh, you, you encounter some like, you know, bad weather here and other stuff here and whatever. Uh, but you perforated throughout this, you're going to put three encounters at certain points. And these three encounters are going to convey to the players, and I mean specifically the players, not the characters, the players, that this is a longer journey, you know? Because three three encounters like that could potentially take two sessions, whereas a single encounter might take an hour, you know? Uh, so we want to go to the next village. Great. In an hour of real life time, you're in the next village having fought the goblins along the way. If you want to go to this other place, it might be a case of, okay, it's going to be like a week to get there. You have two encounters. That's going to take up the whole session. So for the players in real life, it's going to be next week before they get a chance to actually do anything in that town because at the end of the session, they might just be arriving, you know? Mm. I, and it's it's a really simple rule, but I actually think it's one I've always stuck by when it comes to traveling. Uh, I, I specifically put three encounters. When you guys left Temurai on your way to Salaster, uh, and you stopped over in Pontier, which was on the road there, there were three encounters between Pontier and Temurai, and that was about a week's worth of travel. Um, so you, you met some soldiers on the road, um, which was a social interaction. Mm. You, uh, you got uh, attacked by some undead that came out of the forest. And then you fought the Knight of the Moon, uh, the Radir and Alay, yeah. uh, Fae Knight. Um, and yeah, and then after that, like a day later, you arrived in Pontier. Uh, and I think that conveyed, I think it conveyed pretty accurately that that was a decent length journey uh, through some harsh weather as well, because you guys were rolling for some uh, con checks and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like I said, actually, when, when you fought the, the Knight as well, Aerith had disadvantage on... Uh, his attacks with his bow because of the wind was really high at that time as well so I feel like that was I, I don't travel very often but I think that that can be really good as well um, it, it, it's a very simple rule but I do feel like it can, it, it can act it can be extrapolated into a very solid template for how you uh, how you want to handle travel or how to do it without because we talked a while ago about the difference of do you want to montage this or mm -hmm. do you want to do a day by day thing the day by day thing can be so tedious, like yeah. you know, uh, particularly when it comes to like looking for food and, and setting watches and, like... and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, um, I find with that a lot of the time it can just evolve. If you're doing that kind of stuff, it's probably why I don't really like doing traveling because it happened to me a lot. Um, yeah. Is when you're start if if you are doing the day by day thing, after like two goes, it devolves into. <coughs> excuse me. After two goes, it devolves into okay. You you knew roll for the weather. All right. Um. You get this far in the day. This is what you see, May camp, and then the next day is like, okay, who's rolling? Who's 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 like who's leading us? Who's leading the way? Make us make a survival check. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's yeah. even more than that, and that's actually one thing I do want to get into with you. Uh, in between your actual traveling, 
you're camping out yeah. in the middle of the night and someone's got to keep watch and that means and I, I do I do it a lot but I think I need to find a different system for it in our games um, is I have you guys because here's the thing let's say it takes 10 days to travel right yeah and we are describing each day and describing you guys at night uh, you know taking watches and getting your long rest while you're around the campfire and someone's always keeping an eye out I'm having each of you if there's four people in the party mm-hmm. and each person's doing one watch, I'm having each of you roll 10 perception checks in a row, essentially. Um, unless it's an encounter of some kind. But every single night, I'm going to make a perception check to see if you can keep watch effectively. Mm-hmm. And the next night, I do the same thing. And the same thing for each of the characters. That, and like the problem is, and uh, it's, it's very easy to say that we could just scrap that and not do that. But what happens then when I want to put an encounter that night you i want you guys to be ambushed if you if i never normally describe you in camp or the sun setting or any of you taking watch the one night i ask you to make perception checks because you can be attacked is the one night that it'll telegraph to you yeah. oh connor obviously has something planned for tonight because he's asked us to make perception checks and he hasn't done it the past yeah. four nights that we've been traveling so obviously something's coming up now you know yeah I'm pretty sure it wasn't the encounter with the night or the moon that had that happened because we were because someone was up on was up watching um and when it arrived wasn't it? Uh, I think Aerith was um up on he was sitting up on top of the car or the carriage keeping an eye out on the side yes. of the road yeah. um and then two arrows came out and hit him and he quickly rolled off and took over behind the uh thing yeah yeah so it, it's a tricky one because I don't I I I don't want to leave myself unable to ambush you guys in the night if i think that that's an encounter that'd be fun or that mm. could, it could happen but i also don't want to uh if i don't have any encounters planned you know to skip over the five days of travel and be like oh no perception checks required because obviously connor does not have anything planned but again the one night where i'm like oh this night can i have to make perception checks it's like obviously there's something out there <laughs> to be seen if i do that like you know yeah it's 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 like when you're like what's uh, what's everyone's dexterity save and exactly they're... exactly you're, you, so you know something is coming like yeah. although to be fair i do that to you guys sometimes i used to do it a lot in the first campaign yeah. i'd message you randomly and be like hey what's your concept and you'd be like oh no do uh, I... it's this i'm like cool cool <laughs> oh no i wouldn't i wouldn't even say cool i'd be like that's good to know thank you yeah yeah the one that always got me was you'd be in the group you'd message our dnd group and be like how much health everybody got yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> And like the thing is, I would I would always do it if I asked one of you, and I and like let's say for example I needed to know what Eru's um, max health was in the last campaign. Yeah. If I asked you, I'd ask everyone, but I'm only looking for you. But I'd ask everyone, <laughs> so it's not to arouse suspicion. Um. But then of course everyone's like, "What's he got planned?" Because he's asking for our max health. <laughs> Which yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I I I don't like being a DM like a a DM who is like against the players. Yeah. But I do get a little sick kick out of taunting you guys by being like hey Martin out of curiosity what's your uh, what's your dexterity saving throw enough yeah <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's no, actually I do. plus I, zero viewers so yeah but you have advantage I do on pl- pl- <laughs> advantage Dan- danger sense, baby. yeah uh, no so yeah it's a weird one uh, to be honest if uh, it, seems, it seems weird bringing it up on the podcast we're going to talk about our experiences when I'm like I haven't figured this one out yet um <laughs> But yeah, question for you as well. Yeah. Uh, just uh, to move on a little bit. Um, do you track food, water, and all that kind of stuff? Not a lot. No? Okay. No. Interesting. No, I, uh, I don't feel we, it's relevant we... to the game. No, that's fair. Unless I it's think, in uh... specifically an area where that resource is limited. 
like if I it, if they're if they're in a desert, I'm gonna be like, you need to keep an eye. You're going to a desert. You guys know you need to keep an eye on your water. Or if they're like if they're in a particularly harsh and like cold area with not a lot of life, um, I might be like, you need like you need warm clothes or a fire yeah. or like you need to bring your own food with you or like take the risk of going hunting and potentially not catching anything. Yeah. Um, and just have to deal with that. But otherwise, no, I I really I. Like I, like it's like what I was saying earlier. I can appreciate the effort of people who do go through with you know, tracking rations and heat and water and all and ammunition and all this stuff. And like I love players who track their own ammunition. They're great. I love them. Every player should do that if they have ammunition, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it's not really something. Because I don't play D and D to play Minecraft. No, that's fair. That I think it's totally fair. I think D and D. I think first and foremost is a game about a, a party of misfits going on an adventure to what is likely uh, find a monster, kill them, and take their hoard of treasure. You know, yes. that's I think that's a, on a fundamental level, that's what primarily what D&D is about. Um, I I think it's fine if a Dungeon Master in like a session zero or whatever telegraphs to the players, hey, it's going to be kind of a survival-based game. It's going to be in a very, it's going to be in like a frontier town or something yeah. like that. Or, you know, there isn't always supplies available. I think if you're going to do that, you have to make that super clear as well. Because otherwise yeah, you'll get yeah. such a massive amount of backlash from your players. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I could have uh, a lot of fun with... If 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 we if some, if a DM came to me and said that, and said we're going to do kind of a survivalist game, um, maybe it's a post-apocalyptic thing, maybe undead have overrun this entire kingdom, so now we're trapped in this one little walled town, and we have to go outside the walls to ha- get food and do all this other stuff to keep the town going. I'd have a great crack with that, and especially, particularly if I'm like... Hey, arrows are really tough to come by with my bow. So now I gotta like worry about crafting arrows and not lose these or leave them behind. Mm. Um, or if I need to worry about how much food do I have uh, when I go out to make sure. Hey, that's a three day journey, so I need three days worth of food and three days back again. You know, mm. um, I, I do. I can. I kind of. I try to simplify it down because I feel like it's there's certain parts of certain characters that make it fun to make it relevant you are playing uh, i think technically it's it's the it's the uthgart uh tribesman or something like that yeah. is your background but you we just do it as a kale uh a kale tribesman um but yeah you uh you have a feature where you can harvest twice as much food when you do go foraging or hunting yeah we had a good laugh about that last session as well because <laughs> eric's is like i can start a rebellion and god common people will help me and i was like i can find twice as much food yeah <laughs> But I like that though. I mean, that, I mean, I played a, I played a, uh, a ranger for a while. I never got to use that, you know. Mm. Um, but it's fun when you get to use his abilities. I think you want to use it once proper. But it was, it was, I've only it was needed used, to use it once. Sorry, I wouldn't need to use it once really. It was that time when we went when yeah. before we were going underground, um, where there wouldn't be food underground, um, and I just went, yeah. went hunting. But yeah, I went hunting that time. Um, but yeah, no, it's it was useful when it when it's come up. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like. Um, and I mean, if you if you simplify it down, it, it can be easy enough that it, you know, I feel anyway, it doesn't become cumbersome. I do uh, wish there was a bit more to it, uh, like more more mechanics to it. Yeah, uh, more that that it does more. Like you know, like very much like uh, it was just that uh, that's that's why I made the joke. Like I can get twice as much food. Uh, and Eric is like, oh, um, he's got the I can't remember exactly what his is a haunted one. Um. Is this one? Haunted one, I think it's this back. Yeah, and Haunted One is like, oh, common folk will shelter you in times of trouble and they will do everything they can to help you and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I can find yeah. food. I can find food, guys. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember when you did that, because yeah, you guys were going kind of into an underdark thing. Um I do have you guys track uh rations. Yeah. 
But I try, like I said, I try to simplify it as much as possible because I have you guys basically say, look, have rations, which are in the player's handbook. You know, there's a price there for them. If you're low on them, just say, hey, DM, I'm going to buy X amount marked down to gold. Simple as. And you basically use a ration for every day that you are not in a town or village mm. uh, or city. Uh, if you're in a town or village or city, I'm assuming that you have ready access to food and there's no problem. Particularly if you're staying in an inn, I just assume your meals are included if you pay for an inn to, yeah. to get a room there. Uh, but if you're out and you're traveling in the wilderness, I just like the idea of you guys having to to do that. Like I said, you had that you had that moment which I just, I thought was quite cool because background features don't get used as often, I think, as as class features or or racial features. Um, I think it depends. There are some like there are some that are super like I think like if you're a criminal, criminal gets used a lot. Um, if criminal, yeah, because you you have connections to yeah. uh, underworld organizations uh, or something. Noble, noble is really really useful too because you can you can get. Uh, you you had this in the previous one, so you, you can get a, a an audience with a lord yeah. or or a ruler of a region, yeah, yeah, exactly. which is helpful. Yeah. It's very helpful, yeah. Um, um, and and I think I like I like adding a mechanic that it makes your thing beneficial, you know. So like, because what you did was you went out, and you hunted a deer, and you took the deer and you brought it in, and it was a big deer because you're good at hunting and you can get twice as much food. Um, and you brought it to a butcher, and you're like, hey. I don't have time for you to turn all this into like stuff. I'll just give you this full animal if you give me like X number of days worth of rations. And he was like, absolutely here, take all the jerky and stuff of that you need, no problem. Yeah. Um, but that worked, and then you ended up having a ton of them. I think you gave some to the lads as well, so that they had some going on the underground. I like fourteen days worth of rations. Um, yeah. For like a, it was like a five day trip or something. But that uh, that was that was me and the dog as well though. So like I I oh, I, true, I, I count I count dogs taking twice as many rations if we're using rations yeah. because frost is with me. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't count water, uh, but that's again like you, like you said a while ago, you're you've always been in a region where water is readily available. Mm -hmm. uh, if I ever thought you weren't like you're in the middle of a desert, then I'd have you start being concerned about water. Or if you're in a frozen area up north and you know there isn't access to food because we're, animals are. We will literally never be concerned about water because of the aquavancer spreader. Uh, well, that is true. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think I give you the the counter the counter of endless water in the first campaign. Yeah, that that was mine. That was yeah. I used like yeah. a speedboat so many times. You did. You just pop it in the water behind the boat. <laughs> and cast the geyser out of it. Um, um, yeah, I mean, look, I I think don't don't get me wrong. Any of that resource management stuff, like counting arrows, I think arrows should only be counted if you roll like a a nat one, or if one of them, if you fire at a creature that's over a cliff. Yeah. And it misses it. Clearly, it's if it doesn't hit him, it's definitely gone down over that cliff. Then you should mark down arrows and stuff. My, um, other, other than that, I don't feel like it's really needed. Yeah. But my gunslinger tracks his bullets, and I'm totally. I think that's totally appropriate because there's a big difference between firing an arrow and firing your bullet. When you fire a bullet, there's yeah. a component of that bullet that gets discarded. Yeah. Um, whereas with Absolutely. the arrow, you can literally just pick the arrow up. Yeah, and I mean, like when you think about it, most combat encounters last like most like at highest like five or six rounds mm. and if you fire two attacks per round that's 12 arrows and you you usually have a quiver of 20 i uh, i think most people are, are never going to go like to 10 full yeah. rounds of combat unless it's been, no, maybe it will but uh but i think most combats we have don't they tend to last between three and five rounds mostly um so yeah no that's interesting i uh i i get why people don't want to track that stuff sometimes but i i like I mentioned this before. I like the bookkeeping side of it. I like the cost of living thing in in the game where I have X amount of gold. I'm being charged for my accommodation and my food while I'm here. Oh, we need to travel to this mountain that's three days away. I'll go buy six days worth of rations or even seven just to be on the safe side, you know. And like, 
I, I like managing resources like that. Uh, I like doing it in survival games like Minecraft or, or Rust or anything like that. I, yeah. I love all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so I can see myself being very fond of it. But I, I also, I'm also acutely aware that I do not want to make it a... Uh, just because I enjoy it doesn't mean you guys will enjoy it. So I try to make it as palatable as possible while still being able to run that that aspect of the game yeah. that I want to, making it as palatable uh, as possible for you guys if you don't feel like, oh, Connor's making us do this thing again. Yeah, I, I, w- I will say I've never, like, any time you have introduced, like, okay, no, like, we're, like, uh, I, I like it's, the ones I can remember from this campaign is, like, Slaster, when we were going to Slaster, and you were like, it's very cold here. Like, uh-huh. the only reason I was fine was because I had my boots at the hint of the... In the winterlands not hinterlands um yeah, yeah. and so I've, I've resistance to cold so i didn't really need that i didn't really yeah. need to buy them and then but the one yeah like the when we were going underground we had to get and we had to get rations i was like yeah i wasn't like oh fuck it kind of making me fucking kill a deer i was like oh no that that makes total sense like yeah and like i, I it wasn't something i would have thought of myself necessarily um heading in but i was like yeah no we're going we're literally our, our goal is to go as deep underground as possible where like people have not lived for like potentially centuries uh yeah no we are going to need to bring food and like yeah yeah that yeah. makes that made perfect sense so like i really didn't have a problem with that i actually really liked how we did the travel for um down to the ultra and through like end and the, all those all those layers i really enjoyed that whole that actually travel experience yeah, I feel like uh, actually probably more so than the journey you guys took to Solaster, which was on the surface and mostly just you guys in a carriage on the road, um, with you know a couple of encounters in there to to break it up. Um, you guys did also have that you guys going down there. Yeah. That, actually, that's that that's probably a pretty good example of of how the the quest is the journey or the journey is the quest. Yeah. Uh, because you you had to go through the sewers, which was an interesting thing with some combat encounters and some unique interactions. Then some uh, some putrid caves that were literally like neck high in like human waste, um, and then you had to go to like uh, uh, Vishalai, which was the uh, elven mm-hmm. undercity thing, and then after Vishalai, you went down into like Underdark proper, where there was all the the Balguin, yeah. um, and then through Endlichheim, and Landestad. then. Landerstad, and then there was a volcanic aspect as well, <laughs> a vol- an old volcanic fortress on an island. Yeah. Uh, followed by some other uh, a lava tube situation. I mean, yeah, I mean, like that's it was diverse enough, and uh, like again, they that was that. I think that's actually a pretty good example of yeah of how the journey because your journey was to get to Ultref, the mm. inverted city, and find out what was causing all these horrific dreams that were you know killing people and, and causing them to have sleepless nights. Um, but the journey to get there was interesting and 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 exploratory and stuff like that. So you you keep it. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to do a thing underground because you can just make things weird and it has very little bearing on the surface <laughs> world. But if you just go like, oh, you're traveling to the next village over, well, guess what? There's like a portal to the ice plane that opens up in that road once every two weeks. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, random question. I st- yeah. not, not a question, rather. I still want to know what was behind that dead stone giant. There was like a dead stone giant leaning against the door and we couldn't move him in time because we were running from something and I've always wanted to know what was oh, yeah, behind yeah. that door. Yes. So I think if I'm rightly, you guys, you, you went into Endelkheim, yeah. which is an old an old underground giant enclave, a stone giant enclave. You went in, but as you were going in, uh, you kind of realized when you were already a bit too far in that the Balguin, these cursed elves, use um, 
use this basically as a, a shortcut to get back and forth to their own like uh home here well and they go out hunting mm. and you're like oh we're like right in the middle of their their like highway uh that they use down here so you need to run and barricade the door and there was one door that had a dead stone giant who had like uh leaning against it and stuff yeah. like that and you could i don't think you could move him because he was way too heavy that's um, so hard <laughs> yeah i uh if i'm perfectly honest I don't remember off the top of my head. I could check my notes. I didn't think you. No, no, there's no need. There's no need for you to know off the top of your head, really, because that was, that's got to be like six months ago at this point. Oh, easily. That was before Gavin was even in the game. No, it wasn't. I take that back. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Yeah, so he was. He joined just before that. Actually, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. But that was our first quest as a group together. Was to go down and stop yes. the nightmares. As a as a four person group, yeah. Um. You mentioned something a second ago, and I was going to bring it up. No, Blanken. Uh, we'll move on, move on to something else in that case. I'm um, sure it'll come so back. The, yeah, probably. It'll come back to me in two days' time, and I'll message you. Like, hey, Mark, remember the thing I was going to say? Uh, <laughs> um, so there are lots of different forms of transport in D&D. &D. Mm. Whether you have, like you said, on foot, you have a mount like a horse or an axe beak. Um, you could have a a flying mount like a griffin or a hippogriff mm. um, dragons uh, wyverns oh what are the ones called in um... drakes no there's one in fizzbands that we were raving about when the book came out it was oh, like a dra is yes. it a dragonette uh, dra yeah yeah something like that it's like dragonair or something yeah uh, dragonel uh, cool. dragonel dragonel yeah yeah, yeah yeah they were cool um so there's obviously lots of mounts and stuff we can do, but there's also like vehicles. You know, you can get carriages and uh, whether they, you know, be, um, whatever animal pulls them. Um, you mentioned airships from your world a while ago. Yep, barbs get um, land vehicles as proficiency. I get land vehicle proficiency as well. Um, what kind of uh, vehicles or other forms of transport do you have in your world? And are they like commercially available? You mentioned airships, but I'm wondering, do you have anything else that's commercially available that uh, at an adventuring party you can go up to a captain of this ship or something like that and go, hey, if I give you, you know, three gold ahead for each of us, will you bring us to the next town over, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of um, I have a lot of your, what you'll see very in your very uh, like standard fantasy is a bit of an, uh, an oxymoron, but like in, in your standard fantasy world where, yeah, there's like fairly regular airship um airship uh passages or airship journeys made from the three or four of the main continents that are around um there let's see um uh, on in the jet and in terms of like unique or interesting stuff um i have on in the japanese area my my players went to for a little pirate arc um there was uh like an emergency escape uh kind of thing because the town got well, rather not an emergency escape. It was used to, to evacuate people, but uh, there's like this giant waterfall that connects every mountain, every, not every mountain, but every island to the one floating directly above it, right. and they're mystical. And uh, on the bottom one, you can go into these giant lotus flowers, and like as a group, like you go and you like hold hands as a group, and the lotus flower closes up around you, and then like el and then like floats up the waterfall, and brings That's you up to cool. the next one, then opens again. Um, I had that. Um, I'm trying to think about anything else like yeah no I think that's probably the most unique one I have other than just like uh, teleportation there's a lot of transport by plants um, the nine castles if you, if you have a druid in your party transport by plants is just like such a go to yeah and uh, the nine castles I'm in they all have uh, they're all connected to each other by teleportation circles 
uh, but only certain castles can go to certain other castles. Um, so, like, so you couldn't go from like one to nine. No, no, like one had like two and three, and like either two or three had either had four and five together, and then once they got to the middle, they were they were a little bit more broken up. Or like five might only have like seven and eight on it, um, right. and no six. And then like, but by the time they got to like, they were in like the sixth castle. All of the they found tw- two or three times now they've come across fully working teleportation circles, and they have not taken them to skip straight well, they, in. Like- yeah, like they could go, like they, they, they when they killed um, Mimir, the 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 science leader, um, he had a perfectly functioning, like fully functioning teleportation circle in the basement of his area, which they found yeah. and saw and went, we c- that works perfectly. We could go all the way right to the end now, skip four castles, and they went, we need to look in every castle though because that like skull thing we need to find to open the storm barrier that has everyone trapped inside it is we need to find that and that could be in any castle and i know where it is and it's not in any castle it's in a specific one <laughs> like... yeah i suppose uh yeah if you if you i mean players want to explore players yeah. want to make sure they're not missing anything it's 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 a thing you do in uh in video games it's, it's a very video game mentality Skyrim where you're like disease. oh but what if, yeah but what, yeah. If, what if this side room has a chest in it with stuff in it i want that stuff yeah um, it's it's kind of it's kind of my own fault as well but um at the same time if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have uh, to design. It's a uh, oh, the place with the with the doom wake droid. It's called uh, a maritime, which means like doom home. Uh, in uh, it's like a combination of like Nordic and um Elvish actually, because Amon Amarth is uh, Mount Doom in Elvish. Uh, but like that, uh, I wouldn't have written up that area, really, if they weren't like so intent on going to every single. Uh, castle and I and I, you know what out of them all now that I've made I think that one's probably my favourite because it's just been really fun to do like messed up twisted like dream come true monkey paw scenarios with people um, it's been it's been a lot a lot of fun like that um, yeah sorry yes, and, and maybe uh, so in in my world I have um, there are obviously boats and carriages but there's also airships and yeah. then there's also trains there are functioning trains Um that run between certain towns. The rail lines don't run everywhere, but they run between certain big towns and stuff like that. Um, do, how, and maybe, maybe this is me overthinking the, the world of, of everything, but do you have an idea of how your airships work? Yeah. Like yeah. What, what, what is the magic of that? Or if it, if it even is magic, like what actually lifts them and stuff like that? They're like a combination of drones and, and sea ships. Like there's a, like a, imagine like a quadcopter, a, a drone scaled up to the size of like, an ocean fairing a vessel, galleon, like. like a galleon yeah and then yeah. you stick the four quadcopter legs onto the, onto the ship and they have giant glowing magic crystals and right. those crystals are enchanted with a fly spell and they make this guy ship fly okay cool so it's, a, it's very similar to the Mercer um, one then where it's uh, the, the, the propulsion and the lift is all generated by these crystals that, that, that levitate it I think in, in Mercer's one now isn't it in Alexandria now it's the um they're made of this like blue stone that is like the remnants of the floating cities of Aeor. Oh yes, I I feel like yeah. It's that's like, just a good question. I'd have to look into that. I'm fair. I'm like I want to say I'm like eighty five percent certain it is. Um, I remember him talking about it. Where like, I think is, like, it, is it broomstone or something like that? Yes, yes, broomstone or bloomstone, yeah. one of the two. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah. it's it's the stone that the Aeorians use to make their cities fly. And when the cities yeah. crashed to the earth and 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 like were destroyed, the 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 broomstone or broomstone or whatever it is was was left behind, and that was then gathered yeah. and 
and like you rendered and used to make the, the, the like the crystals or stones or whatever it is for the flying ships. I just really yep. like the idea of like a giant like quadcopter like gallon yeah. <laughs> with like giant crystals that like because it feels like it feels like it'd be very stable as well. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. it's just cool and I like it. And then you can stick um, ballista on everything. <laughs> yeah. No, I was because uh, I, I I have I have airships in my world, but I honestly I'm. I kind of go back and forth on on the style of them and how they should work and if if there should be different types like um i feel like i i haven't done it myself but i feel like unless there was just one design that was massively optimal you would just get you would get different designs because that oh yeah chips like that happened that the the, there's reasons we have different ships and different and why some different shapes uh, different shape sails and stuff like that exactly like part of the reason the vikings were so successful with their like uh, raids and invasions because their ships could both go across the ocean and also sail up rivers like that's why they were so that's why it was it was so effective um so i feel like if there were like sky ships and the like that they would have something similar you know they would probably they'd vary probably based on both culture and intent um, like I was saying, the, the one the one I gave my party because it was a it was a I, it it was like it was something I actually just invented for that session. I, I like once I decided the castle was a refinery castle, like basically like a, an ore refinery built into a castle. I was like, well, they'd have to bring the ore there somehow, and this castle is like thousands of feet in the air. So how would they do it? Some sort of ship that can carry it. Yeah, I was like, they're very very they're very very technologically advanced. Yeah, a sky ship makes perfect sense. Um, and it's basically that one is probably my favorite one because the other ones are explicitly magical this one is a technological thing with a slightly magical twist to it in that like right. it's a it's like a big metal skyship um, and at the bottom is like do you know how like led lights are set into a roof yeah so like the bottom of the ship looks like that but they're all thruster rockets at the bottom for uh, upward oh, cool. thrust and then there's a there's still like a rudder and keel on it um, and, sorry there's a rudder on it the keel is the line that goes all the way down the ship but there's still a rudder yeah. on it and the rudder has these two big rocket engines mounted to either side of the rudder so if you want to turn it the, the bottom of the ship keeps it aloft and then the rudder has two big powerful engines to give it the forward thrust and the directional thrust interesting yeah I, uh, I was I was thinking about this recently because I saw a couple of uh, art things pop up on Twitter which I really like the look of um, this, I can't remember the name of the artist now he drew this really cool airship from like to the underside uh, and it looked like See, a lot of times you get in fantasy, you get uh, airships that have the the big dirigible balloon, mm. um, proper <clears throat> blimp style ones that are just carrying the the ship underneath by, by chains or ropes or whatever it is. Um, and I, I don't have a problem with that so much. I think that's a good design. It's a classic design. It works for a lot of people. My whole thing is, I'm like, what if I like? Okay, well, if these things are meant to be like military ships carrying soldiers and all that. What happens then when anyone fires like a single ballista or a single cannon into that big balloon? They're going to drop out of the sky. So I have a hard time justifying this in my head. Um, I had a couple of different ideas I wanted to put in that I haven't, again, haven't quite settled on yet. I've already, I'm trying to redesign, like, okay, so what they do when they do that kind of ship thing, this is me getting really obsessed about it now. Um, what they do when they, when they basically take that kind of galleon style ship and just stick a balloon on it, no one makes accounts for the fact that the reason ships are the way they are, right? The reason that the, the helm is up on the top highest point at the back is so that one, you can see everything around you. Two, you can see everything in front of you and you can also see behind you. Basically perfect sight lines. You can also look at your crew while you are steering the ship as well. So they have sight lines and everything, right? Um, that makes sense if you're on the water and you need to be up so you can see faraway ships in all directions, all this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It does not make sense if you're in an airship that is in the sky 
when enemies can very easily be below you or down below your sight level and you can't see them over the edge. So I, one I thing I've already done... I wasn't even thinking below you. It's like if you mount a giant balloon over your ship, you have no more visibility above you in an area yeah. with wyverns and potentially dragons and things that will... I just, I'm just thinking of that scene from that awful Avatar movie where he's like, the most dangerous one never looks above. So he takes like his dragon thing way high up in the air above the big scary dragon thing because that's the top of the food chain so it doesn't look above, which makes no sense. So oh, he, yeah. yeah. So he like dives down on top but like, yeah, like, like bird strike is a real thing that planes worry about in our world. Like planes, yeah. engines getting taken down by birds flying into the mid-flight. Like, there's like, there's like rocks and stuff in D&D. And like I don't mean yeah. like I don't mean like Dwayne Johnson. I mean like the like the giant big scary giant bird. Like yeah, like like you can honestly. I mean those things are so big you could just see one of them swooping down. The balloon is kind of here and they just it sink just, their claws it into like, it and pop it like a. Like, I I just in my yeah. head imagine like an eagle sinking its fat in, its talons into an American football just. Yeah, and like that's the thing. I mean I I'm definitely overthinking it, and I think if you just want to stick you know these things into your world and make yeah. it work that way, but I'm like is it gas is it is it like is there an air elemental trapped in there you know yeah, it, it, like what's yeah that's very eberron i, I have some notes because eberron do a thing where they bind uh fire and air elementals to their ships to give them lift and thrust uh which is very cool i really like that i like how, um... the, light, the lightning rail in eberron is also like a lightning elemental that is bound i think it's a lightning elemental that is bound to the rail and that's what lets it lift off of it and hover mm-hmm. and, and fly along it's really cool i always liked how um they did it in avatar with the fire nation blimps uh yeah they were quite good but, but again makes... they, they kind of suffer from a similar problem where they one they don't have a lot of like room in them they make mm. them seem way bigger but realistically blimps had the small under deck and a little like a few catwalks and stuff up inside the actual floating part but for the most part blimps were like not really designed to transport large amounts of people you know mm. or, or or heavy things for that matter uh so yeah so i i've been thinking about it a lot um one thing i did to kind of alleviate that is i moved if, if the ship is here and normally you're up the back here at the highest point where the helm would be the helm is actually in the front and low down so you can see the ground you can see straight ahead of you and out kind of out to your sides and you can see the ground beneath you because realistically you're going to be touching down into whatever air sky dock or whatever you're going to have you should be able to see the ground you're coming towards and not just kind of be judging it by like hopefully i don't wreck the bottom of my ship because i'm on top of it and can't see how close i am to the ground you know I'd love to do like um, do you know Da Vinci's flying machine? I'd love to do that as an airship. Yeah. I think that'd be a cool airship. Where it actually there's flaps. a there's not there's not a huge amount of art and stuff out there for it. Mm. But look up Da Vinci Punk, mm. um, and you get a lot of his style of flying contraptions, particularly with the Da Vinci screw propeller. Yeah, um, which yeah. I really love. It's in, it's in all the Final Fantasy games, which I love. I've I've um, always just loved the um, do you know, like the the flying machine one that like it looks like you, it's 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 designed to be like strapped onto your back, and it's the one you use in Assassin's Creed too. <laughs> I, I, well, I I was gonna say it's the one that's hanging in the concert hall in UL. That's literally what I was about to say. <laughs> I was yeah. about to say that one's that one hung in my university for years now, but I was just like yeah. looking look up at it like that's mad, that's insane, and also yeah. be like, please don't fall on me as I walk under you. I know, right? Yeah, uh, but yeah, like, I think look up Da Vinci Punk because I think they had some really cool concepts. Um, but yeah, a couple of ideas I had about how it could work. I had this idea for like an elemental metal, like an air, mm. like a metal that basically like an air, if so I have a thing where like the Titan gods fell on the world and died. And I thought, what if the air elemental one died in a particular region where all these hills had like a lot of iron in it, and now that iron is infused with air elemental energy? 
So if you take that and craft it into rings and attach these rings to your ship, they can cause air to thrust them upwards or forwards, or they can become levitated because of all the air elemental energy inside of them. I actually really like that. I, I think that's cool. Like I love I love just being creative with monster bits like that. I think like it could be cool to make like a like like the D and D equivalent of a Boeing seven four seven and what you've done is you've like hollowed out a rock. <laughs> oh yeah. I like <laughs> And t- taking like even building a, a wooden ship but having the front of it be the head of a rock so it looks like really like fantasy-ish and stuff yeah. like that you know just so you really fuck with whatever town you're going to <laughs> yeah exactly everyone's like oh my god fire the trebuchet <laughs> you're like no uh but the, re- the reason i bring actually that up um and these kind of vehicles and stuff like that they can offer well, they can be a good way if you don't want to do the travel thing at all, you know? Mm-hmm. They can be a really good way or a whole other dimension on how you could be like, oh, you're going to travel on the train to get to this other town. If you're if you're, if you're you're into that kind of more steampunky, slightly more industrial um, thing. I know some people don't like airships. They don't like anything that isn't hardcore yeah. 12th century medieval stuff. Like, Dude, you know, some people have serious uh, issues with the gunslinger still. And I'm like, would you fuck off? Because <laughs> we've five minutes left. <laughs> Um, like no it's fantasy if I can like no stop stop being stop putting unnecessary rules on it like fuck it if I want to be like, if I want to be a Percival von Frankenstein Musil Kowalski the role of the third thank you Um, I will uh, I will do it I will be the guy who invents the gun and it'll be a really cool steampunk gun like bad news um, yeah I think I think yeah, I, I, I get some players, some players are DMs, they have very strict ideas on what it should be. And maybe even players, some players might, might come into your game and think, I'm going to be a, a knight, just like yeah. a proper chivalrous knight. And then someone else is going to be like, I'm a silly bard, and I have an electric loot. And, and this sort of kind of stupid I was going to say, like, oh, d- say, I'm a dragon monk. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm a dragon monk, uh, I can breathe acid at, on command. Uh, yeah. I, you have a sword I have a skill, sword skill. and shield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that, that's a whole other uh, yeah. thing on session zeros and stuff like that um, but yeah I think if you introduce these things they can be a great way to keep your players in the action at all times if you don't want to get bogged down with the whole traveling thing <clears throat> if managing resources keeping watch and camp uh, and all this kind of stuff is just not for you renting an airship renting a carriage uh, or uh, renting like or getting a passage on a train uh, can be great ways to be like to just get your players straight to this new location so they can keep going and keep the story momentum behind them um, the one thing I'll say about that is if you give your players the ability to get to places really really fast um, it means you need to have those places ready because in camp- in our campaign one I um, <laughs> I gave you guys I've talked about this before yeah. um, in fact actually I think our second episode of the podcast is a story time episode and i talk about the uh, the invasion of narveen uh the drow city by the mind players you guys basically commandeer uh, a mind flare shuttle mm-hmm. um that's modeled after the puddle jumper in stargate atlantis um and you take that and it has a essentially a warp core or a drive core or whatever you want to call it that lets you cast teleport in the thing on the whole thing and its occupants once per day so you can basically like full-on like use warp drive to get anywhere you need to um and yeah that made things like it, it set a new challenge i did not foresee where you got home super fast and i was like that's cool you guys can get to all these places and then all of a sudden you're like hey what if we want to go like literally anywhere in the world and i was like oh no yeah. and then like 
And I remember when, uh, when at one point you want Tara wanted to go back to her people who live on a totally different continent, and I only had vague ideas of what they were about. Uh, and then you guys were like, "Let's uh, let's try and get here because Sage has been there, so she can totally cast teleport on the ship to make it go there." And I'm like, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> so I had to make it. I had to make it teleport the whole way there, uh, and I think <clears> I. <throat> I think I had you guys uh, on a beach on the edge of the continent and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's so cool introduction. I think if you give players an airship or anything that lets them get places faster than normal, um, very cool. I think great reward actually. Yeah. You know, if it, if player turns around and goes, "Hey, you just you got a skyship now," like you did with your players. Yeah. Um, I like, but I think uh, I was very careful though. Can't teleport just as the speed. Of, just as the speed of one hundred and twenty, and to make up for the no teleport, it's got an enlarged bag of holding. Yeah, I uh, I I was trying to really lean into that sci-fi thing at the time. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, but Martin. Yes, Connor. That's all the time we have for today. Oh man. So it's been a, a long journey to get here, but I think we've come in right at the perfect time. You just you just bookended this podcast with a journey a journey thing at the start and a journey thing at the end. It's because I'm that damn good, Connor. Uh, um, yeah, no, I think it's a good episode. I, uh, I think, like I said, I think a lot of people talk about travel as being something that's very difficult. I think what's important to know about travel is that you have a lot of options to do it the way you want. You can mm. you can go day by day, hour by hour, if that's what you and your players want. You can do it. Uh, you can do it as a big montage thing. Uh, you can give them vehicles. You can not give them vehicles. They can have mounts or no mounts. Um, there's a bunch of different stuff um, that can factor in. A lot of different challenges you can put in front of them, whether it be for navigation, weather, or um, what else? Checks, notes. <laughs> pace there we go pace. um yeah and, and there's no reason that uh that that traveling to the next town or moving from this small farm town to the capital city needs to be a tedious endeavor where you're just rolling dice to check for weather and, and make you know doing your watch in the evenings and stuff like that mm. you can make it interesting my advice again still avoid um random encounter tables because i feel like they're never relevant enough and i feel like they're strictly combat stuff and you know there's a lot of stuff they're ignoring mm -hmm. uh with random encounter tables but do do i think that rule of of one two three whether the journey is short like medium or long um has done me has done me pretty good i i wish i could remember the person i found i i found them i don't think i've seen another video from them since so i don't think they're a huge youtuber but she gave really it was a really good bit of advice and I've, and I've kept it the whole time and I really feel like it makes it scales well with both the players perceptions of how long it takes to get somewhere and like the characters doing stuff or, you know like the challenge of a character traveling all that way to get there is, is reflected in, in how much it uh, how long it takes and how, what they have to do you know yeah totally uh, so if you have any questions you would like us to ask stories you'd like us to share or topics you'd like us to cover Please tweet us at Mike Flair's Pod. You'll find that on the lower screen. That's uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can find our podcast on YouTube, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor Breaker, and Radio Republic. Uh, Martin, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can mostly find me on the internet on Twitter at So Sorry It's Over, which should be in the bottom right hand corner of my screen here. And then also on the Mike Flair's Podcast Twitter, mentioned earlier at Mike Flair's Pod. Um, shoot us a message there if you ever uh, have any questions or just want to share some memes. Always appreciative of memes. Uh, Connor, where can people find you? 
on the you can find me on the internet on twitter at zero point connor z-e-r-o-p-o-i-n-t-c-o-n-o-r one n very important and as always every friday here at 6 p.m irish time on the mike flares podcast and all the aforementioned platforms so guys thank you so much for joining us uh, i hope this was uh, enlightening i hope you guys can have a bit of a, a better experience when running travel and running these uh, kind of things in your game going forward um and yeah uh thank you very much for, for watching that's all from us safe travels I was going to say it. Damn it. Safe travels, folks. Ah, did you do it? <laughs>